are listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined with, by Philip Russell, Ryan Shutt. The whole gang is here for our next uh, installment, if you will, in performance reviews, our way of recapping the previous regular season. Like I said, I'm Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley, part of the Brightside Podcast Network, and we appreciate that you are here either watching live on YouTube or listening on all the many podcast platforms. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I feel like I've, I, I know we see each other on a weekly basis, but I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you and, and checked on you in person. Are we doing all right? Doing all right. Work I feel is. Like you uh, always ask how we're doing. It, how work, are you doing? Work keeps me busy, uh, but it's nice to take a quick break to talk about some very reasonable takes that we're seeing about the Phoenix Suns this summer. Uh, shouldn't be anything ridiculous at all. Philip, how are you doing, bud? I'm great. My apparent favorite team won the title, so congratulations to me. <laughs> Dude, what's it like to have three favorite teams? It's pretty sweet. <laughs> I think I have like seven. It's just like anybody anybody who I respect is like, you're the fanboy. <laughs> well, uh, let's go to be a Hornets hey, fan next year when they get Kim Johnson. Let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and get there. Uh, we've been doing two things with our summer episodes, the first one being talking about the playoffs and what's been going on since the Suns' unfortunate exit. And then the second part is kind of focusing on Suns news going on. But let's talk NBA Finals. The Warriors have won another one. Congrats to them and congrats to Philip. Steph Curry gets a very much earned Finals MVP for the first time. It is pretty tough to get that when you do play with star-studded lineups, including Andre Iguodala. So it's really nice for him to finally uh, get that monkey off his back. Philip, NBA Finals are over, I think. We got a good finals. It ended a little sooner than I would have hoped. I would have loved a game seven. Uh, but what's what's kind of your big takeaway from the NBA finals this year? It It is so impressive what the Warriors just did. In, in the last eight years, they have won. Obviously, they've won four finals. But they have won with three distinct teams. With three distinct teams. Obviously, you have a core. Of really, it's a four-person core with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Iggy. But you have that distinct identity from 1415 to 1516, the pre-KD Warriors, that it was so much space and pace and so heavily reliant on Steph, and then heartbreaking 2016, and then it jumps into the KD area, which is potentially, and even by people who know basketball, they argue pretty reasonably that that is the best at the game of basketball team to ever have been assembled. I think it's, then, it's easily the best in our lifetimes. Like, oh, I don't think yeah. there within our lifetimes there is, and, and we are coming in as people born, I think at the latest in 91. I mean, that's pretty close, man. They're great. I mean, I technically have like peak era bulls, but I would say that skills wise, that golden state team is better. Even then, even then, you get into it's really hard to compare the eras because it's like, does hand check is hand checking gonna take a guy out who can shoot from 35 feet with regularity? I don't know who's to say, but then this era, what they did coming back from especially Clay's injury, who he's clearly such an integral part of what they do on the defensive end and of course on the offensive end as well, that is so impressive to keep a franchise 
that cohesive through those ebbs and flows. Now, obviously, we could say they had peaks and valleys. It was more peaks than valleys, but you're talking about very distinct peaks and winning in these different ways. That's that's so impressive. And then Steph Curry, we don't need to go off on it on this podcast. An unbelievable playoff run. Let's not forget, homie was hurt at the end of the regular season, was coming off the bench in the first round, and then just dropped like a 31-7-7 in the finals. He was he was exceptional. Yeah, He was exceptional. So here's what I think. I've tried to view a lot of this through the lens of the Suns. The franchise-wide continuity that the Warriors have is something that other teams can aspire to. Yep. Now, you you can't just aspire to have a team like the Warriors because of Steph Curry. He is a once-in-a-generation talent and really even more a once-in-a-generation skill set that he has that is so unique. You also can't aspire to be the Warriors in terms of managing to keep a core that good together unless you aspire to have an owner who is incredibly wealthy and okay mm-hmm. spending that money. And that's something that I think oftentimes gets overlooked. If you were to have an owner who's willing to spend like the Warriors organization as a whole has been willing to, you can keep your young core together. And without jumping too much into our episode today, we are starting to see the beginnings of that with the Suns, as we yep. say, great, we have five guys, basically 25 and younger. Cam might be 26 now, I don't know that are all very good and warranting some money or, you know, four or five, whatever. What do we do with them? How do we keep this train rolling when you have to deal like, you know, money and other roster spots? So the Warriors, it's, it's pretty incredible. And there had to be a lot of things go right for it to happen. They've just been smart enough to keep it rolling whenever those options did show up. Yeah. And I even think looking at a draft pick that didn't pan out, not allowing one draft pick to sink. And then the next year, just hitting home runs in the draft with Kaminga and Moody. They they flipped their rotations around. Kaminga and Moody played real minutes and real rotations against the Grizzlies and against the uh, Mavericks, at least. So like working with the young guys, having that core identity with a core group of players who so have a really good coaching staff, like all of those things can be emulated in some capacity. And you would look at the Suns with guys like James Jones, Monty Williams, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and you would go, ooh, like there's something there. There's something that can be incredibly stable. And that stability is what I think the Suns franchise as a whole should be striving to emulate. 100%. Ryan, I want to go ahead and ask you to get out your phone and open Twitter if you don't mind. Go ahead and pull open uh, the Valley DMs here as we're about to talk Summer Suns news. And most of the time, the majority of our Summer Suns news are things that we find on Twitter, DM to each other and say, probably should mention that later because some of it is of substance. Some of it is, I would say, important, but not worth going super in depth. Maybe front office hirings, for example. And some of it are uh, just rumors, stuff that we're hearing, stuff that we're seeing. But at the end of the day, We have no idea what's going to happen because it's the NBA. So, Ryan, as we go ahead and cover our Summer Suns news before getting into the performance reviews, uh, what do you deem as as worthy of sharing with the wonderful folks listening today? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, according to Woj, we have a front office hiring, which I think is going to be pretty interesting, to, especially considering everything that's been going on in the conversation of the Phoenix Suns front office. But uh, Woj tweeted out the Phoenix Suns are hiring the NBA's Morgan Cato as assistant GM and VP of basketball operations, making her one of the league's highest ranking women in front office. Uh, that's especially curious at this time when the Suns are in very hot water, especially regarding Robert Sarver with the claims of misogyny, with women being treated uh, ill in the workplace by several accounts, with one even stepping down very publicly last week that we talked about on the podcast. Uh, so I'm very excited for her. I'm happy to have her on the team, but it is very curious timing uh, that that hire would be made. Um, and then uh I would say that's probably the most noteworthy as it's the one that is actually happening. It is probably going to have the largest impact kind of moving forward. Uh, but today, and you've alluded to it a little bit, uh, was a little bit of a, of a dumpster fire on Twitter after. As many um, days are right now. <laughs> that's yes. fair. Um, a tweet that has since been deleted by Legion Hoops uh, came out. This is report. The Suns could trade Cam Johnson to the Pelicans for the number eight overall pick clearing the way for Phoenix to offer Deandre Ayton more money. And obviously people took that and ran with it and assumed that there were there's smoke, there's fire that the report well, that, is coming from somewhere. That So that tweet came out and then got deleted. And then the re- actual article came out that Philip, I think you sent, <laughs> Yeah, which yes. was, was that? It was just an ESPN, ESPN. mock draft. It was Jonathan Gavoni. Gavoni. Yes. I couldn't remember Gavoni. if it was Gavoni or Lowe. I remember it was someone ESPN did stick their name to that. Um, and Philip, I'll let you go ahead and hit that. So again, the summation of the smoke was trade Cam Johnson for a pick to save money that can then go towards Aiton. In short, why is that stupid? Because it doesn't have to happen. If DA wasn't on the team, we were like, oh no, we're almost at the salary cap. Then you might go, okay, sure. Clear someone off the books, get a pick that you can either give away for a trade exception or whatever. You don't have to. You can sign DA. The Suns could be $100 million over the salary cap, as far as I understand the rules. They could be $100 million over the salary cap, and they could still sign DA to whatever kind of contract. They could match whatever kind of offer because he's already in-house. That's as far as I understand it. They have the rights to keep – they basically have the rights to keep DA on any kind of contract they want so long as they're willing to pay into the luxury tax. So the, you don't have you don't have to do anything like that. If the Suns pull anything like that on Thursday, it's a way for them to try to save money, which does not align with the timeline of this team. Well, the the only take that I've seen that would make this even remotely make sense is if that move is part of a bigger trade piece in which there's another trade team who is enticed by that number eight pick in which you would be moving Cam Johnson with that number eight pick being a part of that as part of a multi-team deal where you're looking to get a bigger fish. That is the only way that, that to me, this made sense. I, again, that that's a very tinfoil hat way of looking at this. The problem is I don't think there's anything to this report. We are prediction and it's useless to Philip's point. We already have a big fish that Robert Sauver caught out in the Bahamas. Why don't we trade that big fish? He's very big. I don't necessarily think we need him. Trade that guy. Leave Cam Johnson alone. Like, I'm I am aware that logic will go out the window if it ever comes to trading 
Booker, Bridges, or Cam Johnson. So y'all just need to buckle up and ride with me on that one. If Cam Johnson gets traded, I will be heartbroken. Mikhail will be heartbroken, which will then make me heartbroken again. I can't handle that. Do so, we become Warriors fans when that happens? I mean, that are the, <laughs> or, that Bulls, are the or, guests. or Bulls fans, or my Bulls actual fans. favorite team. I don't know, but yeah, I that one that one was interesting. I don't think we saw a whole lot else. I think Kevin O'Connor came out. Um, it's a uh, Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland. Oh, okay. Have you heard I, of him? Okay, it. sorry, I, so, did, I didn't catch the. Full yeah, name. Kevin O'Connor. He said, "I." trying to remember here i think the two teams that were still in on the da sweepstakes potentially were the hawks and pistons is that correct on the one and two there so i guess that is some news i think the the suns have also been rumored from multiple sources as interested in getting into the draft for a projected lottery player who knows what that means who it could be with but i i think that covers most of the summer sun smoke anything else that i'm missing i can't not that i'm aware of i can't think of much i mean the draft is going to be huge i think draft time is going to be interesting not just for the suns but just the league as a whole i will say i am the least prepared come draft time as i have probably ever been maybe last year as well but now that the suns aren't uh, basically, now that I'm not going to B-dubs to watch the uh, ping pong balls decide my team's fate, I'm just not as concerned. So we'll see what happens. I know there are wonderful people out there with way more knowledge and intellect on college scouting and the draft who, if the Suns do make a move, we will be able to kind of lean on them for info if that day does come. But until then, the roster we have is the roster we got. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, go ahead, Philip. If you're big into the draft or you're wanting a big source of information, here's a plug. Kevin O'Connor's mock draft that he does for don't don't do the bit again. Don't do the bit again, Ryan. Is unbelievable and it's visually impeccable. It is so good. Check it out. Go to the ringer.com. They're going very, to be a featuring very good website. It. Oh, what a great website. Great They're website. going to be featuring <laughs> the mock draft heavily and again visually and aesthetically it is exceptional and then of course koc does really good work on the actual analysis of each of the players yep no i love it all right well now that we're done talking about things that might happen and we're unsure of and all that good stuff we now pick up in episode three of our performance reviews this is is episode three if you're listening hopefully you've checked out one and two in short we are taking the time to review the performance of our current Phoenix Suns on how they performed last season. Not last playoffs, not last game seven, the entire season. And that review is broken down into four categories, quality of work, reliability, dependability, judgment and decision-making, and initiative and flexibility. And within those, we will give them a rating as high as exceeds expectations, and then moving down to meets expectations, needs improvement, and finally, unacceptable we have not thrown out an unacceptable yet i think we might see that tonight based off of ryan hyping up his own takes leading into the recording so uh, get ready for whatever that is but that said i will not tease our listeners by starting with the power forward as tonight we covered the bigs tonight is jay crowder and deandre ayton but i'm gonna give the people what they want 
And if I've learned anything on Twitter, it's that people like talking about DeAndre Ayton. Now, I don't know if they like listening, but they sure love talking. So with that, we start out performance review number one for the night. DeAndre Ayton. And we're going to go ahead and kick it off with quality of work. Philip, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. I'm planting my flag early. Exceeds expectations for overall quality of work. DA in the regular season was basically 17 and 10 on 63 and a half percent from the field, almost 37% from three on the few threes that he shot. And then it's basically 75% from the line. And he did that on only 12 shot attempts per game. He was very good. But then in the postseason, which this might surprise some people, he was basically 18 and nine. So his points went up a little bit. The rebounding dipped just a little bit, but he shot basically the same from the field, had some struggles from the free throw line on basically the same amount of attempts per game. Now, here's why he exceeded expectations. He had this year the best offensive rating of his career, the best defensive rating of his career, the best then obviously net rating of his career. Math math checks out. Yep. Best field goal percentage of his career. If you went into the year saying DA statistically is just going to do everything at a higher level, then good on you. You can say he met expectations. If you had maybe even mild expectations of improvement coming in, he exceeded them as a whole. Ryan, quality of work for the big fella. What you got? On no, I'm just kidding. I had meets <laughs> expectations to exceeds. Uh, I feel like I, I, I kind of now we can go back and look at the pods to note. Um, I could have been harder than I think I was. I feel like I had pretty big expectations for him after the way he performed late last season into the playoffs. I was hoping for a big year out of him. So my expectations of him were pretty high coming in. I was hoping that he would make a jump to the next level. And to Philip's point already offensively defensively those numbers were there I, I in his play when he was playing his best he was exceptional this year um and i i think to to discredit that would be a disservice to him and what he was when he was at his best keyword when he was at his best and that will lead into some of my points coming a little bit later um but i think if we're just looking at his field of work and his quality of work he he was a rock star this year. Hey, uh, Ethan, what did you think of DeAndre Ayton's overall quality of work? Wow, I didn't have to walk myself into my own point. <laughs> I thought he exceeded expectations. Uh, and I think if I were giving a reason for that, I would say 70% of that is defensively. And this is a weird one. The 30% on offense is not just his success and what he did. It's also I'm happy with what he didn't do. And follow my train of thought here. This man was playing for his bag. Like there, there was a fire under him this year to go out and earn every dollar he could find. I was nervous going into the year that that would lead to him forcing stuff, him looking to do more, to self-create more, and potentially kind of implode emotionally if that didn't happen. Uh, not to get us uh, looking to the future, if you will. But I thought he played within his game and within the game plan really, really well. Everything he was asked to do, he did at an above average rate. To Ryan's point, when he was on, he was 
I mean, an um, absolute monster. And he added some more stuff to his game. I thought his fadeaway looked better. His little turnover the right shoulder on the baseline improved as well. Free throw shooting looked good. And like you said, uh, at, on the simplest metric of offense and defense, he improved, improved, improved. And for that, I got to give the guy a lot of credit. And so I, I'm happy with it. I, I hope that means that either he brings that back next year or brings a lot of valuable assets back in return for his high quality of work if that were to happen. But we move on to what might be the one to bring out some more interesting takes. And in terms of starting with an answer, I expect going to an answer. I have no idea what will happen. And then keeping myself last Philip Deandre Ayton reliability and am I that much of a wild card? (laughs) You are to me, my boy. What reliability, dependability, Philip, what do you have for the big fella Deandre Ayton this season? Needs improvement. You could his up and down was pretty can his his ebbs and flows were consistent. Like you came to expect that there would be good DA games and bad DA games. D I think there was a stretch where on national television he was cold. Like he he was nasty on national TV. That's not what you want from from a player. You want more steadiness. And one of the things we saw in the playoffs, I think if you go back and you look at DA's uh, game log, if you're on basketball reference, even NBA, you would probably be surprised how consistent he was. But the problem with DA is his lows are low. His lows are very low. And so that's why those those feel uh, probably more weighty than they might otherwise. Like if it was just a one-off bad game and you're talking he shot, 30% from the field as a big man, but still grabbed eight rebounds, but he's having games with like a five and two stat line. So that's one of the, one of the problems. And then he did miss a good bit of time with injury Mm -hmm. this year as well. He was getting banged up at different stages of the year. So I think that's a knock on him as well. You would like to see him be a little bit more steady. Was he one of the COVID illness lists as well? He, I don't think I went back and tried it, but I thought he spent some time out because of it or am I misremembering when I went through his games missed I only saw two that were definitely linked to COVID okay but I think there might have been a little bit of a longer stretch because he had a re reconditioning game out which was like it didn't knock him at all as a game miss because he was reconditioning from well, his he, missed time with he COVID. definitely didn't miss any COVID games in the playoffs I don't think any of the Suns did so that's a that's a great sign right guys <laughs> I'm no I, that article was in The Athletic. I haven't read it. <laughs> Brother, for Father's Day, I need to send you a gifted subscription. The Athletic is a gold mine and a treasure trove, and I value it immensely. Big facts. Ryan, DeAndre Ayton, reliability, dependability. I love that Philip is right there with me. I put needs improvement. I think his DeAndre's numbers lie. If you look at, to, to Philip's point, stat news or basketball reference or whatever, and you just look at his game in, game out stats, they don't tell the whole story because he got his numbers almost every night. But it was whether or not he was engaged and locked in with with the offense. It was the nights that it felt like he put up 15 points and you're like, I don't even remember seeing him playing. He just the, the highs were high and there were other nights where he just disappeared. So if we're talking about reliability, dependability, not just counting on him to do well to Phillips point on the nights where we have nationally televised games. But then you look again to you, I, I hate to go against the rules here. We're not basing everything on the last game of the season, but you're in an elimination game and you would hope that your your one of your biggest name players is going to show up and do something. 
And he ends the game with, what, five points and plays half the game? If we're talking about reliability and dependability, that that can't be said. So definitely room for improvement there significantly, especially as somebody who's trying to secure a major bag moving forward. So I don't want to get too in the weeds of every category. I like how we kind of have it open-ended and ambiguous so we can kind of take it how we want. This is the actual wording under reliability and dependability on this actual business HR form that I have stolen to do this. You ready for this? Yeah, whatever. I get paid. Consistently <laughs> performs at a high level, manages time and workload effectively <laughs> to meet responsibilities. Let's let's think through that and, and talk through it, if you will. Consistently performs at a high level, semicolon. No. I think when he does, he does, but it would be hard pressed to find a, a max level guy or even close to it at that position who becomes a ghost as often as he does. So we continue manages time and workload effectively to meet responsibilities. Now, if this were an employee review for an e-gamer, then maybe the amount of hours he's putting on the sticks probably exceeds expectations. Jalen Smith. Like if he, RIP, pour one out. DeAndre Ayton, it, this is the one, like, and it almost rolls into judgment decision-making, but I feel like that's so much more on court. Reliability, dependability, I feel like that guy does not know how to be consistent. And that's a very interesting thing for me because I was trying to think, and I'll open it up to you guys, can you think of a player who is so polarizing in terms of his performance regularly. Like you fully expect that we're going to go from 25 and 15 to eight and three. Paul George. No, stop it. That's because his leg is broken. That doesn't count. Philip, can you think of anyone it's like been a thing for a couple of years? No, I, I just think DA's, reliability and dependability needs to improve i just don't think it's as bad as suns fans think it is i put needs improvement i did not say unacceptable i said needs improvement but i've not said that on very many things so i must defend why i said it it is it is concerning that a number one overall pick can have knights putting up seven and two or nine and five with the amount of minutes he's getting and going back to your point he doesn't get that many shots a game. So because he's so effective and his field goal percentage bears that out, it's not that he's just having a lot of off night shooting the ball. That'd be different. If he was like four for 17 regu- like on these weird off nights, that's one thing. But he's not. He's three of six. He's four of five. It is the what is going on between your ears that is leading to the effort or whatever that we're seeing on the court. And that is what eats at me because there is so much talent. Like, are, for real, guys, if he, I'm not even going to say played his best all the time. Let's pick his average, the mean stats, and said, that's what you get night in and night out. There's not a question that that guy would have gotten his money. But it's this, it's this weird disconnect, it seems. And, and I I sense that that vibe might even be there within the locker room between him and his other players. It's just odd. So for that needs improvement, I'll quit my rant. 
it just frustrates me because man, he has so much talent that the Suns aren't getting all of it. Just one more thing. I know some listeners are gonna want to dogpile on DA, especially after game seven in Dallas. I would like to, in a friendly manner, remind people of this stat line. 22, 7, and 4 on 10 of 12 from the field and 2 of 2 from the free throw line. That is DA game six in New Orleans against a formidable front line that they had in a closeout game. So yes, we can we can look at game seven and say, he needs to be more reliable and dependable in big moments. He had done it. He had done it in the previous in the previous series. And what we're saying is you would want not the very highs and the very lows, but you would want something more consistently towards the middle. And maybe he doesn't deviate as high, but if we could trade off the he doesn't deviate high to the he doesn't deviate as low as he goes, I think the three of us would take that. And honestly, my my points are simply on the regular season. Like the tiff with Monty, whatever, who knows what happened yet. But he was he was possibly the most consistent performer in the entire playoffs. Like if you're looking at every game and just saying good game or bad game, I think DA probably wins the good game category. And that is with people like Booker having a couple great nights, Mikhail having a couple great nights. Like Aiton in the playoffs was n- not the reason that things went south. So yeah, I think this is this is big picture. But alas, we move on to judgment and decision making. Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and go to you first. DeAndre Ayton's judgment and decision making. I think I think I'm the first one, boys. Oh no! Give me the unacceptable. And, and this is primarily based on off the court. I know you were talking about reliability independently, primarily on court. I know I'm not supposed to extend beyond this past season, but I think all of that provides context to why I feel this way. So I feel strongly about it, but it's the PEDs. It's the bubble missed COVID test. It's the playing call of duty or whatever till two or three in the morning. It's the, whatever this tiff is with Monty right before he's supposed to get a big bag, which now is shrouded in controversy because of what did or didn't happen to me. That just screams a lack of judgment and decision-making that speaks to a greater character issue probably with whatever his maturity level is or his professionalism. I don't know what the issue is, but it all provides context. And to me, it's unacceptable. And it's, it's, I I don't know what the answer is at this point, other than he's got to grow up. I'm going to go quick here. I put needs improvement, but I kept mine on the court. Uh, And a lot of it came down to general, awareness i sometimes defensively a lot of the times offensively a lot of those moments where he's catching the ball and not knowing that he can dunk or he's going in too soft or he seems unsure of himself and it's probably closer to meets expectations but i just wanted to note like that is an interesting thing again where i think it's more mental than physical like this is not a skills and strength and basketball whatever like this is how do you read what is being put in front of you and then make the best decision off of it and that could come from not really playing organized basketball to much later in his career like he is in terms of years of playing significantly behind a lot of other folks in that same spot but overall i would say needs of improvement to meet expectations 
I don't have the highest expectations for him when it comes to his decision making. Um, and that's leaving the off court stuff out of it. I feel like I already used all of that up on the last one. Um, but I think it could be better just knowing, knowing how to use the gifts and skills and mismatches he has and how to capitalize on them. Cause I feel like we just didn't see enough of that. Philip, what do you got? Exceeds expectations. And this is exclusively is. on the court. I'm going to do his shot percentage by range. So this is the percentage of shots he's taking from these different range. Less than five feet makes up 46% of DA shot attempts. It's actually closer to 47. So nearly half of his attempts come from within five feet from the basket. And he shot right at 700 field goal attempts this season. Five to nine feet. So little jumpers and even some layups will count as five to nine feet another 26.6%. So you're looking at nearly three quarters, nearly three quarters, not quite all the way there, are from within 10 feet. That's great yeah. for a big man. 10 to 14, little mid-range, another 16%. 15 to 19 feet make up. He, he stood out at that range this season, but they only made up 8%, 8% of his shots now here's the one i loved 20 to 24 feet so this was just by uh, by feet zero percent the longest twos you can take he did not take any none none according to nba's stat tracking and then 2.7 percent from from beyond the three-point line that is really really good from your big he is taking and usually making good high quality shots and he's opening up a, a ton for Chris Paul which we'll get to in just a minute probably the only thing that I would change with his judgment and decision making is I would want DA to be more assertive when it comes to just yamming on dudes I think DA is built physically in a way that he should pretty routinely be posterizing people which if that's not an oxymoron saying routinely put someone on a poster, but he has the makeup for that. That's the only part of his decision-making on the offensive end that I can see him taking a big leap. Well, go ahead and, and let's move into initiative and flexibility, Philip, and I'll keep it with you there. how do you feel about Aiton? He's meets expectations and I almost put him in exceeds expectations for this one. You already mentioned it, Ethan, his turnaround jumper from the baseline this year was a breaks glass play. It wasn't great when he took it early in the shot clock, but if you're looking late in the shot clock, are you okay with DA taking that little turnaround on a big who was probably sagging off him a bit? Yeah, like it went in at a decent clip. He showed an okay amount of post moves, which you don't get to just bang in the paint and go move, counter move, counter, counter move. And then his ability to finish in different ways out of the pick and roll. He is a genuine lob threat, short floater, and then he showed a capacity to hit the mid-range jumper, especially from the elbow. So when I'm thinking flexibility, like does he score in a variety of ways? I think DA, this is a hot take. It's a hot take because I haven't thought about it too much. I think he has more of an offensive bag than Mikhail Bridges and might have more of an off offensive bag than Cam Johnson. He just scores in different ways pretty much every game that you see him you see him out there. 
And then he also showed an ability to pop to the three-point line with a shot that doesn't look terrible. And that could be the next evolution of DA as well, where he's not just a rim run, but he can also space the floor. And this is where I'll kind of plant one of my big flags. If the Suns lose DA, the person whose game will be most affected by that will be Chris Paul. Playing with a big and having a big in a pick and roll who can score in those different spaces is essential for Chris Paul. Chris Paul isn't cooking people anymore. He's not flying by guys. He is needing to operate in space. And with DA's ability to score at those different levels that I just discussed, that gives Chris Paul the space to be more successful out of that pick and roll. Yeah, I I also said the same thing. And, and a lot of that was what you said. I won't reiterate it, but I actually was, was thinking the same thing. I wasn't going to put him over McHale just because I do think McHale had a pretty good, pretty good here season as a whole in terms of scoring from all three levels. Although that middle area, I think the willingness was there. The execution might not be, but I agree. I thought Aiton was pretty stinking fantastic in terms of taking what was given to him and expanding to do more. Um, And again, a lot of the complaints last year were about his decision-making on where to shoot the ball. Now, a lot of the complaints are how he's doing it. So we've got him to the rim. Great. Now yam it. Okay, we want him to be some sort of a threat away from the rim, but not a dumb 16-footer. Great. He now has a pretty good baseline fadeaway. He's showing some ability to shoot the three, which I think if he's in the Suns uniform or anywhere else, we will see more of that next season. So I, I thought he did pretty well as as well. And I know sometimes that could feel like a contradiction to some of the other points we're making, uh, but it's it's tough trying to differentiate it all. Um, and also, you know, you have mixed feelings on a lot of stuff. There's good and bad sometimes within the same topic. So Ryan, what you got here for fear of sounding like a broken record and repeating what you all had, I had meets to exceeds expectations. I thought he expanded his offensive game really well in ways that I didn't imagine that sky hook was beautiful. The fact that he hit a couple threes every time rattled me. I was like, <laughs> give me more. I'd love to see that. Um, especially if you look at the way kind of Blake Griffin expanded his game late in his career, I kind of see DA kind of following a similar route. I would just like to see him dunk on people a little bit more in the way that BG used to. Um, but I was I was very pleased with with his his initiative and flexibility and the way he expanded his offensive game. Um, and yeah, I, w- I was pleased with it. I can't I can't act like I wasn't. Yeah. Well, overall, uh, tallying up all the results, DeAndre Ayton into the Valley performance review meets expectations plus. Uh, He had enough to put him over the edge of just averaging meets expectations. And to be fair, I think a lot of those negative marks do come from more of an off the court place than on the court. So I would say if we're just looking at basketball, he's a lot closer to exceeds expectations. The on-court consistency issues remains to be, I think, a thorn in the side for all of us as fans of his. Uh, But overall, a good season. We're already almost at the 40-minute mark here. I personally don't have as much uh, to say about the next big fella, so hopefully we can keep this timely here. Uh, I know our listeners can can only handle so much of us. Uh, Jay Crowder, the starting four, the power power forward of the question mark future. Uh, one year left the Cam Johnson for starter campaign has already begun, at least here at my house, Jake Router, Let's talk overall quality of work. 
Philip, what do you have for Jay Crowder? You're going to pick up on a theme with Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder meets expectations because he's Jay Crowder. He is the most meets expectations, gives you exactly what you would expect he would give you player on the team. Here, I'll exemplify. Uh, Jay real, Crowder. Real quick. Are there any of these categories for Jay Crowder, Philip, that you did not put meets expectations? No. Ryan, are there any categories in which you did not put meets expectations? Just one. But okay. I was I was meets expectations all the way down towards uh, initiative and flexibility, where I had needs improvement for the very reason that he is who he is and doesn't change anything about <laughs> that his is, game. I so almost Ryan I, has my exact scorecard. I almost gave him exceeds expectations on initiative and flexibility because he drove a couple times. <laughs> the floater, I know. <laughs> the floater. I know. Whatever, whatever <laughs> people it. overcommitted, he actually tried to attack off the dribble. All right, all right. <laughs> L- let me read this for you. Let me read this for you guys. Jay's regular season. 9.4 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 1.9 assists, playoffs, wait for it, 9.4 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2.4 assists. Dude was moving the ball apparently in the playoffs for his career. No joke, 9.6. He had the most Jay Crowder of Jay Crowder seasons. Jay shot. from the field this year. Let's round it up. I I was a class teacher for a while. Yeah, I'd round that up to a 40%. 40% from the field, 34.8% from three. In his career, he is a 41.7% shooter on 34.6% from three. He had a standard Jake Crowder season. And I don't know what else you want us to give you besides that. Uh, no, I, that was honestly kind of my thought as I was going through this, like the Deandre ones were making me really think. And yep. I got to Jake Crowder and I was like, I mean, I feel like he did what he was supposed to. And I did exactly what you just said. I was like, well, what's this season versus <laughs> so last I season? I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. I was like, what about the year before that? I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then I looked at his career numbers. I was like, did he ever like just go off? I'm like, nope, this is it. Like they paid three years, 30 mil, if I'm not mistaken, for three years of consistency. So anyway, great money. Great money. I know. Okay. So I know. can we do, since we saved a little bit of time, I have two questions for you guys. I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I have a emergency with the wife in the other room. So I'm going to step aside real quick. Uh, Philip, I'm going to let you take this one over I uh, and you, I will boy. be back shortly. All right. <laughs> He's gone. Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, the two questions we'll start since we just covered Jay Crowder in so much detail. We'll start with him. Do you expect Jay Crowder to be in a son's uniform next season? No. Uh, I don't, at least by the end of the season, he may start the season on, but I think by the end of the year, he'll, he'll be gone. Um, and I actually had that in my notes for quality of work. I, you know, I was like, my, my notes were, he is the most consistently average at what he does guy. Who's a good starter. That's not going to be too much, not going to be not enough, but I'm ready for change. And I think the Suns probably are too. Um, and I think we need to add something more than that. I think we DM'd in the Valley DMs on Twitter about um, PJ Tucker being potentially available from Miami. I could see him being a nice replacement for Jay. Um, but no, I don't think by the end of this season that Jay will be uh, a Valley boy anymore. And I, I will thank him tremendously for everything he's given to this team. I think he's been a great addition for a great value. 
I loved the signing when we got him. Um, and I wish him well wherever he ends up next, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. And one of the, one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit is that it feels like there's some redundancy on the roster there's some redundancy with the twins, Mikhail, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson give you a lot of the same skill set, comfortability playing certain ways. And then when you plug Cam Johnson into the Jake Router spot, I, I just naturally say Jake Router instead of Jake Router, yeah. and I blame I blame you and Ethan. That's but when fine. you when I'll you plug that. when you plug Cam Johnson into that spot, you're not losing a lot of height. You're losing a little bit of physicality, but you are gaining, I think, a lot more on the offensive end and definitely a lot more potential. And I think if the Suns are looking to strike a balance between moving forward in a definitive direction with some of their younger core while still having a desire to win, I think the upgrade needs to be in size. So you get someone who's bigger than Jay to come on the bench in case you need to start two bigger players. But then for the way the Suns normally play offense, I would be totally comfortable, especially after another summer of work, I would be totally comfortable plugging in Cam Johnson to the Jay Crowder spot. I think that's a that's a reasonable place for the Suns to go. And again, I think that moves you forward without necessarily taking a significant amount away from, from the quality that we saw from the Suns I, this yeah, year. I, I think a, a post-Suns world without Jay Crowder doesn't lose anything by way of numbers or or efficiency or scoring. You might lose a little tenacity and edge and pettiness. That is kind of some of those extra things that Jay brought and were valuable. Honestly, they were valuable in several situations, but we don't lose anything big picture with him not on the team. And I have a feeling Chris Paul and Devin Booker can make oh, do as far as bringing yes. the petty is concerned. A hundred percent. Yeah. I did 100%. see just a just to kind of recap, Jay. I did see a video the other day of, it was like called karma moments and it was a shot of the Lakers kind of clowning the Suns when LeBron was posting up was in game two, game four, whenever it was. And then Jay Crowder hitting the salsa at the end of game six and just running straight to the tunnel because he got yeeted from the game right after that. So Jay, thanks for the memories. I want to see you traded away from the Suns just so the Suns can move on and we can see more of our sweet boy, Cam Johnson. All right, now Ethan is back just in time. We have we have wrapped up our discussion of Jay Crowder. Ryan and I both think he is he should be moved on, and we would expect him to be moved on from at least by the end of next season. But now we have the big question: What is your pr- winded? What were you doing? I'm sprinting downstairs. I'll fill you boys in later. Right now, it's hoops. <laughs> what is your preference for the outcome? What is your preference and outcome for the DA saga? He stays. I don't think we get better return. Ryan? Ship him. You want to. It's a win-win. I, and that's a cop-out, and that's a dumb answer. It's I, I, I don't care either way, as long as he's bought in and looks to improve. Ideally, in a perfect world, maybe we ship him and we get Kevin Durant. Philip? Close it out. What do you what do you think? Out outside, outside of getting an S tier, shout out the gamers, S tier level superstar. 
the Suns will not, will not be better without DeAndre Ayton. So if, if the reports about DA souring on the Suns are incorrect and he's okay, he just wants his money, bring that dude back. Bring him back without question for reasons we've already covered tonight. If DA has soured, if he has soured on the Suns, then I think you have to let him go. You have to let him go. And you have to bring in someone, a la a Kavan Looney, who can play a role and then is okay when he's going to be relegated to the bench. And Kurt even said in the Grizzly series, it was a mistake for him one game to play Kavan only like 10 minutes. And the next night he rolled him out for like 30 plus. You're going to have to replace DA because of his immense skill set. You're going to have to replace him with a glue guy, with a veteran's veteran, someone who can come in and play the role near perfection. Because again, as we've discussed, you are losing a, not a unique skill set, but an incredibly valuable skill set in DeAndre Ayton if this has gone as south as some of the reports seem to indicate. So best case scenario, you keep DA, you keep plugging forward, you hope for, shout out the timeline, some internal development from the Suns' young core. But if he has soured, dude's got to go. Yep. Well, as we uh, wrap up our performance reviews, we will be in talks to figure out what we want to do next, continuing on the summer. We've got a couple ideas up in the air, whether that's slowly recapping, uh, sorry, not slowly, quickly recapping the rest of the roster and doing some quick hitters for what we thought the surrounding cast had to do, or moving on to a couple more big picture NBA stuff. But we know there'll be a lot of new stuff to talk about uh, in a week's time. So gentlemen, as we wrap it up, anything you want to leave our lovely fans and listeners with? Peace, love, and good vibes, baby. Can't beat that. We actually do know what next week is, though. I guess we need to save some room in case the Suns do anything crazy. That's why I purposely teased it generically. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. We'll cover that. We'll obviously cover that. But our plan, either next week or the week following, is we're going to talk top 10. and then purposely not committing to anything. We already committed. We have the receipts in the group chat to prove it. We're going to talk top 10 and Booker's place among the best because I don't think anything that I've heard about the Suns in the draft is reasonable. Like, are there reports out there that you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense for Chet the Suns. to the Suns? No. See, that's what I'm talking ah, about. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. But what we want to do is we want to, after we've done these performance reviews, we want to engage in the Booker dialogue that got going again. So we'll do that either next week or in two weeks' time and try to think, like, where does Booker rank among the best players? And just kind of have a big-picture view of who I think all three of us agree and have agreed, at least for this whole season, is unquestionably the Suns' best player, the Suns' most important player going forward. Well, there we go. We've got something to talk about next week. Yeah, we do. Well, Philip usually is supposed to say, go Sun there. So, for End of the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast, go Sun. I am Ethan Shutt with Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt. We out! No, I can't end an episode until Philip does it. We out. Thank you. Thank you.